This is a decade in the making. Reagan will be 16 at the end of July. Reagan. I think he's speaking tonight. Ten years ago, um, Reagan and I are passing time waiting for our food at Cracker Barrel. Which means that we're on our way to a family vacation. Because pretty much the only time that we go to Cracker Barrel as a family, uh, we're on our way to Florida. There is a, uh, a little place with some chairs and a cloth checkerboard, if you've ever been. And there's large checkers. We're playing the game. He's five years old, almost six, and he's pretty good. He manages to move one of his checker pieces all the way down to my end of the board. And then he says to me, in that little voice, King me, Daddy, King me. He's laughing. Now, for all of you who do not, do not understand the game, if you can move your checker from one end to the other, you gain another checker. It makes you more versatile. One goes on top of the other and most of them have grooves in them so that they fit very nicely you can go back and forth now that you are kinged it gives you more options because now you just don't have one checker but you have two and they are stacked in such a way which makes you twice as large as you were before the checker of course interlocking means that you get to join together and it is a connection. And when one becomes two, it has, in the game anyway, exponential ability. It's no longer one-dimensional because before, with just one, you could only move forward a little bit side to side, but it was always forward. But with two, you can move freely with greater ability, even Backwards and forwards and freely from side to side. All the angles become available when you get to the end and someone crowns you and you get to say, King me. That's the moment when I took my checker and placed it on his checker and empowered him with my own. When I added mine to his he became greater and like the game, he cannot reach that level without me. I had to add something to him of value that only I could give. So when Reagan says to dad, king me, it was much more than a game we were playing. It was and it is a lifelong ask so that he can become all that God intends for him to be, whether he knew it or not. It is his continual plea for life. And it is the plight of all men to add to others.
You can remain seated. I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Deuteronomy. This comes from the NIV. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. He said, I'm 120 years old. I'm no longer able to lead you. He leaves something out. He says nothing about health. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. It's almost as if he's saying, this is the reason why I'm no longer able. Because the Lord has a different plan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you as the Lord said, just as the Lord said. I skip down a couple of chapters to the last moment between these men, Moses and Joshua. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 34 and 9, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the wisdom, with the spirit of wisdom, because, by virtue, Moses had laid his hands on him. So they listened to him. I speak to you in a decade-long pursuit, probably not fulfilling all of it, I'll bring it to you in 10 years again. If we could for a moment consider the scene that unfolds at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, there is a truth that might be hidden and is to most just beneath that fertile soil. I'll put it into context. Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness and what a leader he was. His life, Moses, is segmented by thirds. He spent 40 years in Egypt, the first segment, living as a prince in the royal palace. He spent the next 40 years working in the field of his father-in-law, tending sheep and cattle and learning work ethic. Of course, I also think that second segment as an extended detox, the clearing of his mind and the spirit from the vain philosophies of Egypt's societal, cultural norms. It's hard to let go of the silver cup, no matter how corrupt it may be. But the writer of Hebrews declares to the world that Moses chose to suffer with the people of God some affliction than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The moment of defiance and his personal rejection of Egypt was just a speck in time, and yet Midian, that second part, that next 40 years, that was the place where he learned work and discipline. It taught him how to be a man and a husband and indeed a father. It took Moses one day of recovery for every day he had spent in the arms of Egypt. And then finally, at the foot of a burning bush, Moses will graduate. At the voice of the great I Am, Moses will spend the last 40 years of his Life leading a congregation of somewhere around three million people, all of which had the mindset of enslavement, all of them knowing nothing but the heavy hand of Egypt's oppression. The last 40 years, that last third was filled with awesome wonders as the cloud of glory protected them and hovered atop the tabernacle. 
Moses performed mind-boggling miracles before Pharaoh and the people. He astounded the magicians of Pharaoh, used the same staff that he threw down and it became a serpent. He, he used that same staff to part the Red Sea. Water came from a flint rock gushing like a mighty river. A brazen serpent healed the people in masses. Judgment in the form of fire from heaven fell on his enemies. He spent days on Mount Sinai to deliver the commandments of the Lord. Moses, his face, glowed like a light bulb after spending so much time with God. The Lord even once said that while he spoke in riddles and dreams and visions visions to prophets and leaders alike, it was not so with Moses. God said, with Moses, I speak face to face. There's so many things. Moses was sufficient in and of himself. He knew what to do and when to do it. He had proven himself before God and before the people. He was skilled and prepared, anointed and positioned. He was powerful and yet humble, insomuch that the scripture even tells us, and I quote, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his servants and to all his land, and in all the mighty hand And in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel, nobody was like him. But at the end of his life, when God decided that the days of Moses' leadership were over, there was a final step, one thing that Moses did that may have indeed saved the nation as much as any other measure in his life. I know that the plagues broke the Pharaoh's grip. I know that the part of the Red Sea gave them access to escape and That those same collapsing waters drowned the armies of Egypt so that the enemy that they saw that day, they would see no longer. Yes, I know that Moses led them with authority and with might. The wonders wrought by God through him, they're all astounding. Even though God did the work, Moses stood at an ambassador and an intercessor so many times, literally saving the people from God's wrath. They were so stubborn and rebellious. God would have rejected them and wiped them out and started over with just Moses. But the Bible says that Moses stood in the gap. And yet at the end, with all the good that he had done, having served and led for four decades, Moses had a choice to make that could make or break him and the next generation of Israel. I can't believe that in October, Tammy and I will have been here for 20 years. My, where'd the time go? Where'd my black hair go? Why does my left knee hurt? Yeah. Why didn't I get some Ben Gay? Where'd the guy go? Yeah, many years ago, I'm sitting at a little coffee place and I meet an old man, he's an elderly guy, he's very kind. We start talking about history. I probed him, asked all the questions, and he started to tell me about a wealthy man that had children. And he's telling me that the dates were somewhere in the mid-1940s, 50s, and 60s. The wealthy man had several children and he provoked their children to be at odds with with each other. He said that this father, this wealthy man, this father, thought it was good for them 
to have antagonism. In fact, he trained them to be suspicious and skeptical and greedy. The old man that sat with coffee at me, coffee with me, told me that the children of this wealthy man grew up always looking over their shoulder, suspect, left them distorted. They manipulated and were manipulated. Without any real close friends and no one to offer constructive words, they grew in their own way, without boundaries or borders. But worst of all, the elderly man said, the father never told his sons that they had done well. He never affirmed them, and consequently, they never felt satisfied in life. He said, I knew them very well. A man's role, this man's role, was distorted, and today... Men's roles are distorted. It's been diluted in ways that we can barely wrap our minds around. We have feminized our country into a way, in a way that has diluted the very core nature of a man. Men are afraid to be men. The voice of a man, a father, an uncle, a grandfather, is the voice that might make or break an entire nation. Paul knew it, and that's why he wrote to Timothy, and I'm sorry that I gave you the microphone today. I rue the moment. I should have just let you pass out Tylenol. But I appreciate what you said. Because it's true. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, you're my son. I greatly long to see you. Timothy, I have confidence in you. You are the man of God, anointed and appointed. Timothy, when I remember you, it makes me remember the faith, the unfeigned faith that was in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Paul was constantly affirming his son in the gospel. Biology had nothing to do with it. It was the connective flow of the blood of Jesus, a son in the gospel. So for all of you men who say, well, I, I, I didn't have, I didn't have a children. I didn't have a son, but you are a man and you have a responsibility. There are sons and daughters that you must affirm in this house. They are your children in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was constantly affirming. It was a father. He was a spiritual father putting his hand on his spiritual son. It was the unmatched and unrivaled attribute of affirmation. You see, the distortion of the wealthy man severed bonds and created generational frictions and fights. Where there's no affirmation, I stand here to tell you this, there is no peace, no confidence, no contentment. But when a man puts his affirmation on someone else, these are the words, well done, I'm proud of you. You're doing great, this is good, I love your faith, you're a good son, a good daughter, I appreciate your integrity and your honesty. All of that and more, when they are affirmed, it builds a foundation that cannot be shaken. And I read from one of the books where our teachers several have taught from, the Genesis book. The author writes, although our mothers and our fathers' roles overlap in many areas, there are a few basic values that only fathers can give us. It is our father's role, through love, discipline, and mentoring, to release us into our identity. In primitive cultures, this was called the rite of passage, it is the father's natural gifting to help a child, especially around puberty, to identify his or her talents and giftings. Fathers naturally encourage us to go for it, take chances, while mothers are a little more protective. 
It is in taking risk that we discover our identity and potential. It's his role not only to call those attributes forth in us, but also encourage and mentor their development. We can all identify with how important it is to have our father's approval. So if you grow up without a father or a dysfunctional father or a disinterested father or perfectionist or emotionally absent one or a literally absent one, you're likely to suffer uncertainty in who you are. You may experience confusion about your youth and your special uniqueness. But the author writes the need for identity and the role of a father. It's the affirmation that has to come. It's the moment when men look around the people around them and they say, I'm going to king you. This is the cry of many people today. Men have grown up. Now they are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and some of them have never been affirmed. And I'm going to make a statement that's going to make a lot of feminists angry today. So if you're here, the Genesis Process book won't spare you any love. So I won't either. Women cannot affirm a man. Please don't clap. But I know that I'm already getting hate mail on our live feed because a woman can never affirm a man. It takes a man to affirm a man. And the problem that we have is that we have many single mothers and you may look at me and say, well, what about my child? I wrote it. In your bulletin today that God never leaves anybody out that if there's not a father the Bible said that he would be a father to the fatherless but our men's leader just spoke it today in this house there are many men there are many fathers there are spiritual fathers in this place today and it's our responsibility to affirm them and you've got to take your authority and your power and your word and when they cry for help you've got to empower them so they can do things they could not do without you king me that's the cry of young people today king me Yes, God through Moses had saved them from the oppressor and God through Moses had saved them from hunger with manna and water from the flint rock. He stood there as an intercessor on their behalf when they did not deserve it. Israel had provoked God so many times, so many leftover issues of their former life, which makes us to know, as incredible as it sounds, it's always easier to get people out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of the people was baked into them so Moses saved them and I doubt they even knew it they murmured against him at the slightest misfortune they railed against him when they did not understand his way but he was faithful to them and he led them all the way to the very edge of their collective promise and he simply paused at Mount Nebo to rest though he knew he had more energy left he wasn't sick Moses was not feeble. His eyes were not dim. His mind was not clouded. But God said to him, this is the end. And at the end, Moses had a choice to make. He he could have recoiled against the decision of the Lord. He could have thought that no one could follow him. And no one was equipped to do what he had done so effortlessly all those years. He could have become bitter. Angry. That the only thing God allowed him to do was glance over into the land that flowed with milk and honey. But Moses did none of the above. And I submit that hidden in the open is one of the great profound moments in the life of Israel's most wonderful leader.
he affirmed Joshua. He said, I'm 120 years old. He didn't say I'm weak or inept. He said, the Lord said to me, you're not going to cross the Jordan. Instead of spewing bitterness and anger, Moses did not just speak to Joshua. No, he, he didn't do it in quiet terms in a private place. He didn't hide his heart or his intentions from the people. Instead, he lavished on Joshua. And he said it before all the people. The Lord, your God himself, will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations before you. He will, you will take possession of their land. Joshua is going to do it ahead of you. Just as the Lord said. And not only did he affirm Joshua before the people, but our Bible is clear that the spirit of wisdom came upon Joshua because Moses had laid his hands on him. King me. Somebody king me. The cry of every person in the church is that they would be affirmed by someone else. This house of God not only relies upon the Holy Spirit, but we rely upon one another to affirm us. Giftings are left lame. They're collecting dust, talents. The Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is often untapped because nobody said, you've got it, you can do it. So we, we, we hide ourselves in fear and say, I don't know if I can. It just takes somebody to affirm them and I reach for all the men. Your voice is powerful. Is it too much to say this? Thank God for our ladies and our women and our mothers. There's no... There's nobody like mom. There's nobody like Tammy. There's nobody like our ladies. I thank God. But the reason why many places have women leading is by default. It was not by design. It's by default. The reason why many congregations are led by women is because there was no man to stand up and say, I'll lead in worship. I'll lead in giving. I'll lead in love. But when our men lead, our women are thankful. They're not put down. Our women are not smashed. The ladies are not a nobody's group. You are powerful ladies. But I know that every woman in this house wants a man to stand up and say, just affirm us in the gospel and the doctrine. That's the father's role. Dads have got to say, go for it. I see the dads, these crazy dads. I was one of them. My wife did not throw our children up in the air. But we did. That gave us confidence. We can do a risk. The ceiling fan. There's Uncle Mark just holding, holding Roman's little rump. He's laughing. That's how we clean the ceiling fan. It's my dad saying, come on, Jeffrey, jump, jump. It's a 10 feet fall, but we jumped and gave us confidence. He's going to catch us. I can jump. I can do things. I can run. I can leap. Mama's going to protect me. But daddy's going to give me identity. Your father wants to give you identity. And the father of lights wants to give you identity today. And if you don't have a natural father that's supporting you, I'm here to say there is a heavenly father and there are men in the church that are standing ready to affirm you. Somebody king me. Somebody crown me. Somebody give me worth that I can't give myself. 
I'll tell you what I want you to do with that checker. I want you to walk around and say, it's my responsibility. It's my duty. It's my call. Before you have any call, look around you. Congratulate somebody. Love on somebody. Affirm somebody. Men ought to be affirming men and men ought to be affirming our young men and our young ladies. Yes. This is the affirmation of my father who danced before the Lord and he worshiped and gave me an example. This is the example and affirmation of my father who congratulated us when we did well, who gave and was an example in giving. Worship, this was my affirmation of my father that prayer changed things. And he kinged me. It's his work ethic on ladders, doing plumbing work, painting, fixing, repairing. This is the affirmation of my father that even at the worst times when mom's dishes broke, he could repair them or calm the mood. When my mother lays on the floor and holds her head and says, I don't think I can do it. Dad says, get up, Rosalie. <laughs> we have people coming over. <laughs> and mom says, why do we have these people coming over? He said, because you invited them and they're your family. <laughs> this is my dad's affirmation. That when some of the church people were ugly after we had given everything we could and my dad filled up refrigerators for Christmas because they didn't have any food and those same people scorned us. My dad didn't lay the charge against them. Part of that is the reason why I'm standing here to minister before you. Because instead of him getting bitter and passing along that bitterness to me, he brought me joy and said, we did it as unto the Lord. That's why I can stand here and preach this word to you because my father kinged me with affirmation and said, we do things as unto the Lord and not unto men. And if the people murmured against you, you're no better than Moses. You just stand there and when the day is ready, you say, I'm going to do the work of God. I'm going to put my hands on somebody. Hey. Uh, God forbid, hear me, God forbid that nobody passes along a spirit of wisdom. God forbid that nobody passes along the spirit of truth. Your fathers in the church, whether biologically, whether by DNA or spirit, your fathers, hear me, they will give you a spirit of wisdom. They're going to put their hand on you. They're going to bless you. you got to listen to them because they're going to give you something you can't give yourself. Yes. So I call out a couple names, Mike Jones, who was dad's original youth pastor who prayed with me when I received the Holy Ghost. And I don't know if he's still living or not, but I want to say thank you to Mike Jones. And I want to say thank you to Curtis Havner, a tall man, engineer, brilliant man, all left brain. He didn't, his right brain didn't even work. Nothing was active over there, all left brain. If you didn't come with an equation, he couldn't figure you out. He taught disciplines 
Love the people. Love the word. Thank you, Curtis Havner. He's passed away. I want to say thank you to my original Bible quizzing coach, Mike Chumney. I don't know where he's at today, but he invested in me. Thank you. All those men affirmed me, and many, many more affirmed me. I want to say thank you to Pastor Stark, because I had been preaching for a long time. But when I finally ended up there, and I started preaching, I remember the day that the sermon turned. And he went, came over to me at the end of the service, and he said to me when he put his hands on me, Jeffrey... Today, you preach like a man. I was proud for a moment until I realized, I don't know what I was doing before, but now I'm nervous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't know what that word meant to me. It launched me into something else. It made me want to study and fast and pray like I never fasted and prayed. He anointed me with a spirit of wisdom. Hear me. When hands are on me, when your hands are on me, even the men younger than me is still an affirmation for my life because I can't give myself something that you can give me and you can't give yourself something that I can give you. And Jesus set the example. Here's what he said. Because he didn't, he didn't leave us like some people do. In fact, he said in John, I will not leave you comfortless. You're not going to be empty. I'm going to come to you. You won't see me in a bodily form, but I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. This is what Jesus said. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents Talk about affirmation and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, he shall do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. The Lord never left us empty. And one day, we're going to be kings and priests with him in the heavenlies. I honor our men today, all the men of the church. Don't consider your own offspring your only responsibility because I have four that need your voice. I have four. Tico has five? I don't even know if you know how many you have. That's nine children that need your voice and you're going to say to me well I don't know what I can do I'll tell you what you do you pray you put their ha- your hands on them and when they do well you thank them and when you see our young people living a separated life of holiness you say to them I'm proud of you when you see them worshiping you say I thank God that you will worship and spend your energy here when you see them falling and stumbling you pick them up and say you're going to do better I have confidence that the Lord's going to help you you tell them when they are failing and when they're losing you're going to make it I know you're going to get back up I know you're not going to be down forever you lend your voice men because I'm going to tell you something you're going to find them and crown them and I cry out for their sake somebody king me (laughs) 
Come on, men, just stand right now, all the men of this church, and lift your hands up to God. Come on, men, just lift your hands and say, Lord, use me and my voice and help me to recognize the power that's in my hands. Lift up your hand right now and say, Lord, use me for your glory. Use me for your glory. Now, all the people, would you stand? All of our, our mothers and ladies, come stand. Yes, Jesus, Jesus. Yes, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I feel the presence of the Lord moving now right through here. I feel him ministering to your hearts. So out of your mouth, receive the call. Receive the call. We reject the concepts of this world. We know, Lord, that the spirit of this age is trying to dilute your word in which you said that you made them both male and female. You separated them for a purpose, a distinction, and the spirit of the age is trying to distort your written word. But we stand here today to draw the line of priesthood, of godly men, of spiritual fathers. We know that it's in our grasp to affirm, to supply the words, the prayer, the love, the devotion, and let men all over this house have the liberty to lay hands and impart whatever spiritual blessing they can. We can't give spiritual gifts to one another, but Lord, we can give spirit of wisdom, examples of love. Yes, Lord, I pray. I'm praying right now for you in the name of Jesus. Every man who feels unworthy and doubts themselves, remove that, Lord, and let this word go forth that you are a man of God. You are called of God. So set aside every weight and sin that besets you and keeps you from running this race. Stand up right now in the name of Jesus. Open up your heart right now in the name of Jesus to receive your God-given call. This is the will of God for your life to be an affirming man. Yes. 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 I don't know how you want to respond to this, but I just think if you just want to just, you can, you can walk to the front. You can come. Thank you, dad. Scott, Scott needs this more than me. Come here, Scott. What a day, what a wonderful word. I'm thankful for it. What a cry of our land.
So many homes without dads, so many places without a father. And what a beautiful thing the Lord gives us that we can have the spirit of a father without having biological children. What an amazing thing that God has given to us to do. A call. Um, the most exciting thing that connects in my heart is that Barnabas in the Bible wasn't even his name. His name was Joe. That was his name. But I know him as Barnabas. They called him that because he was the son of consolation or he was such an encourager. He was such an affirmer. I want that spirit of Barnabas to be in this place. I want that to be in my life. Would you pray for your own heart right now with me? Father in heaven, change us from being so self-absorbed so full of our own to-do list, our own what we want. Open our eyes to see those around us that are just hungry for someone to encourage, to comfort, to be a son of consolation, to be a Barnabas, to truly lift them up and say, keep on. God's got his hand in your life. That's the Lord's work. You're doing the right thing. That's exactly what the Lord wants. Some word of encouragement. I pray, Lord Jesus, take this wonderful word, your precious word. Let it be applied through our lives. Let it not just stop with us. Let it flow through us, Lord, to those around us that so desperately need it. I thank you for this church. I thank you for a godly father that I have. I thank you for my brother, a wonderful man of God. I thank you for your hand upon us. And let the church say, thank you, Lord. Come on right now. Someone let the thank you to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.